Welcome to Crime Shots. I'm Bree. And I'm Nikki. So, this case is out of Copper's Cove, Texas. Copper's Cove. Copper's Cove is about 10 miles west of Colleen. To better familiarize people with the area, it's where Foot... Fort... Foot. <laughs> Foothood. Yeah. Fort Hood is located in Colleen. Copper's Cove is primarily Coriel County. I don't even know how to... Is that how you say that? Coriel? Sure. So, I'm always fascinated at the people that are from that area, and Copper's Cove did not disappoint. So, it's previously the home of one of the Luby's Massacre survivors, Susanna Hupp. There is... So, Michael Stipe from... He's from the Cove. He's a frontman of R.E.M. Did you know that? I did not know that. I didn't either. There's a few major league sports players. Robert Griffin, the third, who he's a quarterback. Charles Tillman was a cornerback. And then U.S. Army First Lieutenant Shay Haver was from Copper's Cove. She was one of the first two women ever to complete the U.S. Army Ranger School. Chester Ovnand was one of the American soldiers that were killed in Vietnam. So, I'll be honest, being so close to and a part of Fort Hood, I was expecting more military notable people but that's what you get so that's copper's cove according to the fbi database from 2019 the cove was reported had reported 22 vehicle thefts six robberies 114 assaults nine rapes 129 violent crimes and zero murders this database does not list unknown like unknown what like it doesn't list missing people Okay. Which brings us to the case of Liz. Just Liz? That's what I'm going to go with for now. Okay. Elizabeth Campbell okay. was born May 31st, 1967, and she grew up in Lampasas. So Lampasas is like 30 miles west of Colleen and about 20 miles west of Copper's Cove. It's in Lampasas County, and it's home to Mineral Springs, which are rumored to cure ailments. Did you know that? I have heard that. Really? Mm-hmm. You never told me that. Well, because I don't believe it. <laughs> I'm a skeptic. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lampasas was home of the Horrell brothers. I don't know. They were famous outlaws of the Old West, apparently. Also, John Wesley Jones, an NFL football player. The country singer Dale McBride. And his son, Terry McBride. And then Keith Knoll, an American football quarterback. Stanley Walker. He was a previous editor to the New York Herald Tribune. And just a side note, Lampasas is also mentioned in uh, the song Texas Women by Hank Williams Jr. Okay. So, Lampasas. Boom. Boom. So, Elizabeth grew up in Lampasas, and she came to be known to friends and family as Liz. Okay. So, Tom Campbell, Liz's father, was an engineer in the Marines during the Korean War and Vietnam War. 
So for people that don't know, the Korean War ran from 1950 to 53 and was basically a fight between the North and South, like North Korea and South Korea. The U.S. got involved. They pick a side. That's that's how that happened. Mm-hmm. And then the Vietnam War, Wikipedia says it ran from 55 to 75. And according to History.com, it's basically the same thing. North Vietnam fights South Vietnam. U.S. picked a side and they got involved. Okay. To sum it up. So Liz's father, Tom, during his travels in the military, met Sam Soon in Korea. They got married on April 14th, 1959. So they had four kids, all girls. So as you can imagine, a half Korean family and half Marine family, they are brought up with very proper and very high standards. Shockingly enough, it's not too far off from like how we were brought up, I guess. Okay. They're very tight-knit family. They always keep in touch with each other. It's not like, you know, they get older and just... No one's estranged. Right. Liz graduates from Lampasas High School and decides to attend Central Texas College in Colleen. So Central Texas College is a community college. Wikipedia says that it's highly affiliated with the military. And the campus in Colleen actually sits on like 500 acres of land that was donated by Fort Hood. Okay. They have approximately 40,000 students enrolled. The average cost of tuition is $3,300. Liz had a plan, right? So she's going to graduate from CDC, then transfer to Texas A&M for the fall semester of 89. She wanted to study marine biology. Marine biology is basically the study of, like, organisms in the sea. So A&M has a really good department of marine biology. They have a research facility in Galveston. They have like direct access to whatever they need to study that stuff. Right. So that's her plan. It's her jam plan. So Liz starts dating a dude. A dude. A dude. Uh, Ricky Ray. Okay. Ricky Ray is also attending CDC. She's still living with her parents in Lampasas, but she gets a job at a 7-Eleven in Colleen. She's going to school in Colleen. She gets a job, which the 7-Eleven's kind of in between Colleen and Copper's Cove. Mm-hmm. Copper's Cove is right in between Colleen and Lampasas, where she lives with her with her parents. Mm-hmm. And so she gets a job at a 7-Eleven, like right outside of Copper's Cove, but it's considered Colleen. For people that don't know, 7-Eleven, it's a convenience store. I didn't know this, but originally it was a U.S.-owned convenience store that was called Totem. Okay. Did you know that? Mm-mm. Anyway, it was eventually acquired by Japanese affiliates who named it 7-Eleven to represent the hours that it was open. Anyway, if you don't know what a 7-Eleven is, watch television. If you see somebody with a big gulp, it's because they've been at a 7-Eleven. The 7-Eleven that she worked at is right there by Fort Hood. I mean, everything's just kind of right there. On April 25th, 1988, Liz had some classes during the day, and then she worked a shift at the 7-Eleven. Nothing that I could find actually says what time her shift was, but I'm assuming it's like midday since she had some classes beforehand and then based on the next timeline of events, she didn't work real late. So I would assume it's like a midday shift. Right. And I say that because after her shift, she goes to Ricky's house. They're either studying for like a, a like a like an exam or they're just like they're working on something for school. So she goes to the like study session and they get into a the fight gets so heated that she she tells Ricky, she's like, I need you to take me home. And he's like, no. And she storms out of the house. This happens close to like 10 o'clock. 
So that's why I say she. it's not like she worked like a late shift. Right. Anyway, she storms out of the house. Now, when you're imagining her asking her boyfriend for a ride, him refusing, and her storming out, remember, it's 1988. There's no cell phones. Right. There's no lifts. No ride shares. No Uber. Right. She just leaves. Mm-hmm. And nothing to get her home. He just lets her leave. Right. Remember I said Liz, Liz lives with... Her parents in Lampasas. Mm-hmm. That's like 30 miles from Ricky's house. Mm-hmm. In order for Liz to get home, she'd have to go down Highway 190. According to Google, Google Maps, this is a very large, very busy highway. However, I looked it up and like what the road looked like in 1988. Mm-hmm. It appears to be just like a two-lane highway at the in 1988 right right so now they've built all these like you know big spaghetti roads but back then it was just like this desolate nothing around highway liz would have to travel from colleen to copper's cove over to lampasas however she ends up going towards the college a guy that also attends cdc he's at the college working late he's doing some stuff i don't know and he sees her walking down the road when he leaves does he know her or he just... So he doesn't know her, know her, but he knows her enough to know that she, she goes to school there. Okay. Like he's seen her in passing. Mm-hmm. So he stops and he offers her a ride. Liz hops in his green gremlin and gets a ride to the Seven Eleven that she worked at near, Scop- near Copper's Cove. I gotta be honest with you. I'm not a fan of this car. Okay. And anyone driving it automatically, they're sus. It looks like if you cut a Chevelle in half and threw a hatchback on the back of it. Yeah. Not cool. Uh, and it's, a, it's called Gremlin. That tells you enough. Liz has dropped off close to 11 at the 7-Eleven. Now, she's only like 17 miles from home versus the 30 when she left Ricky's house. Okay. She goes inside to use the phone. Obviously, she worked there, so it's not like they had like an issue with it. And she calls Ricky because he's technically closer than her parents. Mm-hmm. She tells Ricky that she's scared and she needs a ride home. Because it's like close to 11 o'clock at night and she's 20 years old by herself. Right. With with no ride home. I really wish that I knew what their fight was about because they start arguing again on the phone. And he refuses to come pick her up. Oh. Yeah. Side note, this is not a boyfriend, ladies. <laughs> no bueno. Okay. Because this guy has now ticked me off twice. Liz decides she's going to hang up on him and just call her parents to pick her up. She goes outside to use the payphone to call her parents. This is where we start having a little history lesson, okay? Okay. And the only reason why I'm giving the history lesson, I know you're going to understand, but I'm doing this thinking my kids would not understand what the heck I'm talking about. I don't even think, like, our niece would understand what the heck I'm talking about. She's a young adult. So anyway, she goes outside to use the payphone. Remember, this is 1988, so a call from Copper's Cove to Lampasas would be considered long distance. Mm-hmm. So I'll explain what all this means, okay? It's not just a ludicrous song. Now, the phone numbers that you're given actually serve a purpose. And back in the day, we understood the meaning behind these numbers. So I'll explain them to the up-and-coming generation. So a phone number in Copper's Cove may be something similar to 254-547-5555. These aren't just random numbers generated by a phone company that sends a signal to your cell phone. Mm -hmm. So the first three numbers are called the area code. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
this I'm identifies. Go through this. Oh yeah. So this identifies a specific geographic region. Mm-hmm. In this case, two five four is the area code specific to the Copper's Cove area. So that means all the phone numbers that start with those three numbers two five four were located in Copper's Cove, and they're landlines, so they don't move around. They're always there. So the next three numbers narrow that down even further. So in this case, the 547 could be like a small neighborhood. So then the last four digits are specific to that individual line. So if you pay attention to your phone number, those first six numbers actually help indicate where you're located. However, with today's technology, sometimes it's set by like the location that you bought your phone line or you can set it up based on where you want to be located. For example, like I purchased my phone online. But when I first got my phone number, I technically still lived with my parents way back in the day. It's been Mm -hmm. so many years. Anyway, so my number is indicative, like, to that area. Mm -hmm. But I don't actually live there anymore. I'm explaining this to help understand the long distance thing. In 1988, landlines were billed like a standard amount for local calling. However, if you were to call outside of your local area, it's considered long distance calling. And you were charged per minute. So, depending on the phone company, Wikipedia says they charged anywhere from 2 to 10 cents a minute. However, based on my childhood experiences, these numbers could have been much higher. Or I was on the phone a lot more Mm -hmm. than that. So, that's long distance calling. So, back to Liz. Mm -hmm. She decides to go outside to use a payphone because a call from Copper's Cove to Lampasas would be long distance and would have cost the owners of the store had she used their phone. Okay. A payphone is a landline open to the public, usually outside, surrounded by like a small booth sometimes, not always by a booth. You put in change, the phone would work. It's like a vending machine. Mm-hmm. These used to be everywhere, like everywhere you went, they were everywhere. I don't, I can't remember the last time I saw one. They're not everywhere anymore. Well, no, everybody has a cell phone. I've used a payphone like a ton of times. They used to have a payphone at church camp. That's how everybody called home, but we also called collect, but that's another history lesson. By now, it's close to 12 a.m. when she calls her parents. Of course, they're asleep, and originally Liz had told her parents that Ricky was going to be giving her a ride home, so they didn't answer their phone because they're asleep. They're not expecting to get a call from anybody. They're thinking that everybody's squared away. Mm -hmm. She calls them, they don't answer, and Liz disappears. The next morning, Tom and Sam soon find that Liz never came home like she said she would. So they call Ricky, hoping that, you know, she's over there for some reason. Obviously, she wasn't. And so they think maybe Liz decided to go stay with her sister, who had an apartment at the college. She's not there. So they contact the police department, and obviously, they're like, we can't do anything. It has to be so and so many hours. She's an adult. Maybe she doesn't want to talk to you. The Campbell family's just stuck. They have no idea where Liz is. They don't know what happened the night before. They don't even know what to do to try to find her. The case goes cold with no trace of Liz. Until 1992 when something super bizarre happens. Okay. The Crockett County Sheriff's Office in Ozona came across a discovery. Ozona? Ozona. It's West Texas. Okay. Remember, a few episodes ago, we talked about a family that was brutally murdered near Sonora Mm -hmm. off of dreaded Highway 277. Mm -hmm. is on the other side of Sonora. Okay. So, 270 miles from Killeen. Employees at the sheriff's office were cleaning and organizing their evidence area 
when they come across a lost and found purse they believed were was turned in sometime between april of 1988 and january of 1989 inside the purse they find a credit card a social security card an id all belonging to elizabeth gamble mm. So it wasn't part of evidence. They didn't have record of it. So it was just like something that, like somebody found a wallet in a parking lot and turned it into the police station right, to get it to the proper owner. So it wasn't, they didn't document anything. They have no idea how it got here, who dropped it off. They don't even know an exact date that it was dropped off there. When they turn it over to the family, they were, to, they were able to confirm that the purse and contents did belong to Liz. However... Her makeup, hairbrush, and keys were missing. Mm, okay. But not anything to possibly, like, to identify her. It's so weird. Authorities believe that Liz was abducted and possibly murdered. However, the family not only has hope that she's still alive, there's possibly been evidence of it. Okay. So six days after Liz disappeared, Roger Anion, who was working at a convenience store in Waco says that he saw her. Waco is like 70 miles north of Copper's Cove. Mm -hmm. Copper's Cove is where she was last seen. So Roger tells authorities that a car pulled up to a gas station and had two occupants in it, a male and a female. They come inside, and the male is clearly overpowering the female. Mm. I say overpowering because he's, like, holding on to her. Right. To keep her from, like... Running. <laughs> right. Roger describes it as holding onto her arm with force. So when he says that, I, like me, I imagine like a cop holding on to someone's arm, like they, that some, somebody that they've apprehended. Right. And that they've cuffed, but without the cuffs. Mm -hmm. So not like a wrist, but like an arm, like above the elbow. Mm -hmm. They go up to the counter. The female looks at Roger and then like looks away, giving Roger the impression that she's not allowed to speak to him. Okay. So he doesn't really think nothing of it other than just like an odd situation until a few days later when Sam soon comes into the st that same store with flyers of her missing daughter. Mm. Roger sees the picture of Liz and he immediately knew that that's the girl he saw that day. Then, a few days after that, Liz is allegedly seen again in another convenience store. Mm. But this time, in Copper's Cove. Michelle Christensen says she saw the same thing. A male and a female come into the store. The male has a hold of the female. The female looks up at Michelle at the counter, looks away as if not allowed to speak. A few months after that, Liz is spotted again. This time, a customer at a convenience store in Garland actually bumps into her, like physically bumps into her. Mm -hmm. So Garland is up by Dallas. That's like 180 miles from Co Copper's Cove. Mm -hmm. Fergie Johnson says she bumped into a woman at the store. The woman acted absolutely terrified, like she had done something wrong. Later, when she saw a picture of Liz, she said she's positive it was her because she had a tooth that overlapped on the right side. Mm. So, like, she's able to point out, like, a distinguished characteristic about her and how she knows it was her. Right. In November of 1989, the case is featured on Unsolved Mysteries. So, they describe the man that she was allegedly 
repeatedly seen with, as being 5'7", 160 pounds. He has acne scars on his face with plucked eyebrows. And he was seen wearing a silver silver martial arts medallion with a gold chain. Hmm. So Liz's family believes that she was abducted and forced into sex trafficking and has possibly lost sight of her own identity. Mm. which they say that this is common when people are abducted and like put to work in some way shape or form that they just completely disconnect from the world well yeah it's like a coping mechanism right so that's that's what her family believes liz is approximately five to 108 100 pounds she's half caucasian half asian with brown hair and brown eyes she has small scars on her chin forehead and on her right eyebrow her ears are double pierced. She has a small mole in the center of her back and a birthmark on her right buttock. She'd be 54 next month. Oh, wow. So her father, Tom, has he struggled for many years with uh, congestive heart failure and has since passed away. And her mother, Samsoon, is still holding out hope that her daughter is alive. That's sad. So anyone with information is asked to contact the Coppers Cove Police Department at 254-547-8222 or the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children at 1-800-843-5678. She's still missing. Still missing. Yeah. 1988. I mean, I was looking at like some like stuff on web sleuths. There's a ton of theories. So obviously there's a lot of people that think that she was abducted, but then there's other a lot of people that think that she probably just tried to walk home and was hit by a car. Mm. Like a, well, at first they're saying like a hit and run situation, but people are like, she totally would have been found if she was just hit and they ignored it. Right. But other people are like, well, maybe they hit her and then in order to try to cover it up. To not get in trouble. Right, they take her somewhere else, and then that's how, like, the purse would have ended up so far away. Yeah, but people saw her. I mean, I, yeah, that's true. And I feel like, I mean, I know that uh, authorities are probably skeptical about the people that are saying that they saw her, but I feel like she's got some pretty, like, unique characteristics. So, I feel like... When people say they saw her, they probably Yeah, I feel like if I saw this woman walk into a store, especially with all of the the odd things surrounding it, you know, with the guy, like, holding her arm and her acting weird, I, I feel like I would know it. I would know that I saw her. Right. But that's, mm. I mean, that's one of the things that, like, it's actually one of the trainings that we have to do for work is, like, human abduction. Oh, really? Because it happens. It's, like... Right. So real. It's not a horror movie that you go see. It's It happens to people all the time. It's a scary world. This makes me angry at several people. Number one, I'm angry with the boyfriend. Absolutely. I understand that they were in a fight. And there's no, like I said, I have no idea what their fight was about. Yeah. So I'm not saying that his anger was not valid. Because I have no idea what they were fighting about. But, I mean, how how was he supposed to know? Right. At the same time, it's 1988. She can't call an Uber. Give her a ride home. Yeah. And be mad at her tomorrow. I mean, I get I get him not, like, running after her when she, like, left the house. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, maybe he's probably thinking, where's she going to go? She's just going to come back. Right. And then when he realized, like, she took off. And then, you know, but... 
when she called him from the payphone at the Seven Eleven, that's when I'm I'm shocked that he didn't go get her. Right. And then I'm also confused at like the Seven Eleven worker. Like they obviously have to be affiliated with each other if they both work there. Right. So why wouldn't the Seven Eleven worker be like, "Can I give you a ride somewhere else?" Or it just they just leave her, leave her there to to call on the payphone. If they're working a shift and they can't leave, I mean, what are you, what are you supposed to do? No, no, that's what I'm saying. No, they they did leave. I mean, if Seven Eleven closes at eleven, but if they're working, they can't leave. I mean, what are they supposed to do? That's what I'm saying. So, and she makes the call on the payphone close to midnight. Oh, I don't know. So that person would have had to have been leaving. Well, I mean, they didn't think she's going to get abducted or she's going to go missing. They were leaving and maybe they said, are you okay? And she's like, yes, I'm going to call, you know, my boyfriend to come get me. And then they leave. I mean, you don't know. I don't know. Well, I know that. I'm just, I'm just saying. So then the other thing that ticks me off is I'm like, okay, well, you know, she's trying to get home, blah, blah, blah. I don't find out until after, way later after researching this, that her sister lives at the college. Like, when she's walking on the side of the road and a guy that is at the college stops and is like, hey, can I give you a ride somewhere? Who says, yes, take me as far as you can to Lampasas? Instead of being like, yeah, can you just take me to my sister's house? Which would have been right there. She didn't even need a ride. She could have probably just walked there. Does that make sense? Like, it just, it's weird. No, it totally makes sense. What doesn't make sense is that she disappeared and... Yeah. We don't know where she went. And then all these people seeing her after the fact with... The way that a lot of these people describe this man, they described him as an Asian man. Mm-hmm. And I know that I should not find this odd, but his eyebrows were plucked. Well, I don't know that that's odd. I don't think that's odd. I felt like Unsolved Mysteries thought it was odd because they felt the need to add it in the description. I mean, I guess it wasn't as common in the 80s for men to pluck their eyebrows. But I'm sure people pluck their eyebrows in the 80s. I guess so, because we're looking at like the era of, uh, what's his name? David Bowie. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, his were plucked. Definitely. So, I mean, I guess, yeah. It wasn't uncommon. Nowadays, it's uncommon because, you know, men just don't care. Yeah. <laughs> they're not They're not about an image. They're just like, well, we'll just throw a hat on top of it. It'll be fine. That's true. So, it's hard to believe that so many people can just disappear yeah that's it is it's weird and i mean she was only you know 20 years old and she just disappeared happens all the time i don't know it would be interesting if like she just like i said i always have hope for that one day to turn on the news and they have found this like building with all of these like abducted people that have been missing for years and they're all alive yeah that'd be wishful thinking yes so she's there with, like, uh, who else have we talked about? Brandon Lawson. She's there with Brandon. <laughs> and uh, who's the, what's the lady? Who's the lady that we talked about? We talked Kimberly? about Kimberly. Kimberly? Yes, Kimberly. Flint. Mm-hmm. And they're all there just waiting for... Somebody to find them. Yeah, that's it. That's what's happening. That's what we're hoping for. We're hoping for that, that day... To turn on the news and and see all of the people rescued, right? Absolutely. And then we'll do an episode about all the people that are rescued. Yes. (laughs) It'll be a happy episode. That was good.
close to home and happened in the 80s. Went back a little ways for that one, mm-hmm. but it was good. Had a little history lesson. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we, it's, we don't have a very large uh, young person demographic, but maybe y'all can let your grandkids know how it used to be <laughs> in the day. And a shout out to our new listeners in uh, all these different countries. Finland. Hey, Finland. What was One or, of them was uh, Malta. Mal- yeah. Or, you know, people who lie about where they live. <laughs> shout out to you. My uh, podcast profile says I live in Jersey. <laughs> you know, fist pump, push up, chapstick. Okay. All right. On to the next. Here we go. Here we go. 